Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Kaya FM. Kaya FM. Kaya FM. Home of the Afropolitan. Good evening, Kaya. Good evening, Kaya. Good evening, Kaya. Welcome to the Law Report. I'm standing in for my big brother, Michael Motson and Bill. He's burning the run somewhere. I'm sure you've been on the N1. You've seen the building going up there. The brother is making some cash somewhere. Uh, so I'm here uh, standing in for him uh, on the Law Report. We always aim to educate and educate and educate that by the end of this show, you should surely have gained something. Uh, we would be participating in the education of the uh, Afropolitan. Today, it's an open line. Uh, whatever you have in your mind, particularly in labor law, uh, we want to canvas this area of labor law, make sure that everyone knows their rights in terms of the labor law. What are the processes at the CCMA? What are the processes at the bargaining council? What are the processes at the labor court, the labor appeal court, and for that matter, the constitutional court? Uh, what rights do you have as an employee? In fact, who is an employee? Uh, what happens to issues of uh, employment equity? What happens to issues of uh, the basic conditions of employment? Uh, do you have a contract with your with your uh, employer as an employer yourself? Do you have contracts with your employees? And do those contracts meet the requirements of the Labor Relations Act and all the legislation that is related to, to labor law? So, Mkaya, give us a call as always on 086-00-00959 086-00-00959 our whatsapp number is 063 uh give us a call early mkaya uh, I, I know what usually happens on the show that we we now have an avalanche of calls towards the end of the show so you know you have issues in labor law that you want us to talk about I couldn't be in the presence of better guests. Um, Advocate Vessels is in studio. Roxane is in studio. They will help us uh, navigate this issue of labor law. So, Mkaya, give us a call. 086-00-00959. Roxane, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. And uh, Advocate Vessels as well. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, we, we, we're going to try and educate Tabo Mkaya about uh, the issues in labor law. So, let's start here from... Uh, there's this new... Uh, discussion and bill that speaks about hate crime uh we, we we know that the influence of social media now insofar as posting on twitter on facebook now i'm sitting here at kaya during the day i'm an employee of kaya i say something on facebook or on twitter uh, what is the effect of that as far as my employment uh, uh, my employment with with, with with kaya is concerned I think that's a very important topic and it's something that a lot of employees still seem to be a bit naive about. Um, the reality is there's two ways that one can look at, look at it. The first instance is when you are at work, you are required to further your employer's interests. So you're at work, you get paid to do a particular job. And a lot of employees find themselves in situations where they get tempted to use the access to Wi-Fi or the company laptop or cell phones or whatever the case. And they start misusing and abusing these facilities provided to them by their employers and to go onto social media. What, what constitutes that abuse? So the abuse is when it's normally not for business related purposes. And one has to look at why were you given those tools in the first place. Okay. Um, you're given access to Wi-Fi and internet so that you can either um, correspond with clients that you need to access. So, so, so is, is it possible that an employee can be, can be charged for, uh, say, say I'm, I'm, it's during the work, I, my supervisor or my boss passes behind me and sees on my screen that I'm on Facebook. 
is it something that can lend an employee to a legitimate uh, charge? Yes, definitely. And it, it also depends on what the policy is that the employer has in place. And we always encourage organizations to ensure that they have a good and proper social media policy in place. Because ultimately, if you want to discipline employees, they need to be aware of the rules in the organization. There's no point having certain rules and they're not aware of the rules. And then all of a sudden they are being accused of transgressing a, a rule that they never knew about. So it's important to educate employees as to what the rules are and what is permissible. Some organizations, if you think about um, the advertising industry, yeah. uh, you know, they have to be on social media. It's, it's part of their function to look at what people are doing so that they can be more effective in their jobs. So every organization will be different, um, but it's, just, it's important for the employers to establish those ground rules. So, so um, um, maybe let's take a step back and establish the basis of um, what, what, what constitutes an employee in the first place. Who is an employee? All right. So I think one of the, the basic thing is when you look at an employee, it's somebody who's rendering a service to somebody else in exchange for remuneration. Yeah. Um, but there's also instances where you can be a contractor to an organization rendering the services and getting remuneration. So the lines at times get a little bit blurred. But if you look at the Labor Relations Act and the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, they clearly give us guidelines as to certain conditions that need to be present in order for a person to be presumed an employee. So if I'm working under your control, you're regulating my working hours, I'm economically dependent on the salary that you're paying me, you provide me with the tools and equipment and all those things that I need to order to do the services, then it's presumed that you are an employee at the end of the day. Thank you very much. So, 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 so Kaya, we, 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 we establishing the base for both you as an employee and you as an employer. Now we've defined what an employee is. So we have now brought you into the conversation both as an employer and as an employee. And, and, and Advocate Vessels has, has spoken about the establishment of policy that uh, people who are working in a particular environment should be able to predict the consequences of their action. And that happens through um, uh, you as an employer having a policy written. And it, that happens also where an employee if the policy exists, you then, in certain circumstances, will be deemed to know that that policy um, uh, uh, exists. I like what is happening now. You are giving us a call very early in the conversation. I'm in the company of Roxani and I'm in the company of Advocate Vessels. We should be able to help you navigate these issues of, uh, of labor law. Give us a call on 86 And I have Mlungisi from Soweto. Hello. Yes, Mlungi is from in Soweto. Yes, yes. Uh, I've, I've got a question to ask here, man. I don't know if I could get some clarity on this one. Eh? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, yes. 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 Um, I've worked for a... Eh? And up, upon my uh, employment, uh, there wasn't uh, any contract that I was given to, to, to sign on. And then I resigned after those nine years. So my question is, uh, do I have any claim that I can claim from the company? Or is then that is due to me? Because on that company, when I was working there, it was only a commission-based type of a, uh, um, okay. a job, yeah. 
Yeah, so, you know, normally in circumstances when an employee resigns from their employment, they do so voluntarily. Um, and there's nothing that is due to the employee except normal statutory payments, which would be any leave that was accrued. Um, if there's any outstanding salaries or payments, that needs to be paid to you upon your last day of employment. Um, a lot of time people think that they've been with an organization for a long period of time and they're entitled to receive some form of payment in respect of years of service. But those kind of payments are only due and payable in circumstances where we start talking about retrenchments. So, 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 so he says he never had a, a written contract with the employer. How relevant is that? It's, it's not really relevant. Oh, it is relevant in as far as it, it points to the fact that the employer was in non-compliance with the basic Was condition, in non-compliance? Non-compliant with okay. the Basic Conditions of Employment Act. And the employer faces possible penalties and fines that can be imposed for that non-compliance. But in as far as an employee is, that's working without a signed contract of employment is concerned, it doesn't change the fact that I was an employee. And the law still applies irrespective whether or not there's a written agreement that exists. And the relationship comes to an end upon resignation, and that's where the relationship ends. So, so basically, if, 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 I, if I may try and understand what you're saying. So you're, you're saying that the fact that there's no written contract does not distract from the fact that you are an employee and you are still entitled to the protection that otherwise accrues in terms of the Labor Relations Act and the related legislation. However, there is a penalty that goes to the employer for employing people without a written contract. 100% correct. Mlungisi, I hope that uh, that helps you. Um, Keletso in Fandabel Park. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Okay, so this is my situation. Um, I got a job in, in January, and I got it through a recruitment agency, right? So they did all the checks and the criminal and the credit and everything, and then um, after that, the employer decided I was shortlisted, went to an interview, and then I got the job. I signed a contract. Now it's been six weeks, or yeah, actually seven weeks. Now the, the lady in HR tells me that something came up um, which relates to a criminal record of some sort, which I'm not aware of. So she says... Um, they will need to redo my my verification and all that. So my question will be, I I have completed all the information and I provided them with any information that they needed. Now this information is coming up seven weeks later, and uh, I, I, have you have you been going to work already? Yes, yes, I've been working. This is my seventh week with the company. Yes. Yeah. So now my question is. Is it really possible for an employer to find out something which I'm not really aware of? Because I, 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 according to me, I do not have a criminal record at all. I'm not aware of anything. And they're saying, according, according to the MIE, whatever those people are, there's a criminal record dating, dating back to 2016. The advocate vessels? Yeah, look, the reality is with these criminal credit checks, um, many employers do them in order to ascertain a certain person is employed in a position of trust and therefore they cannot afford a person to have a criminal record. So the testing is very much allowed. Um, but the other reality that we also face is that often employers move a lot quickly when it goes through the um, employment process. You mean employers or employees? Employers. So okay. I need, I've got a position that's vacant. I yeah. need to employ somebody. I find a candidate. They seem suitable. 
let me employ and they rush the process basically and they rush the process without waiting for whatever these checks are yeah. and these checks take some time you know you get some checks that you can do that you get the result within 24 hours and sometimes it takes a week or so um, and the reality is that sometimes an adverse result does come up like in this particular instance where now all of a sudden I have a criminal record and I wasn't aware of it um, and the employer and the employee will now have an obligation to investigate that matter further to see what that is all about. Does it relate to an incident where I got pulled over, I received a fine, I went to court, I did an admission of guilt? What is the context? What is this whole thing really about? Because so, ultimately, you can still go through a process of getting a police clearance certificate, which is much more detailed in as far as what this um, illicit activity is. Yeah, so yeah, I, I wanted to come to that because I've seen that phrase, illicit activity so many times and in some instances if s someone is arrested for drinking and driving somewhere because of this whole for this judgment from Cape Town um, you you are arrested today you are given bail you are given a trial date of six months later and then you come back to you, you come to court on that day they say the blood bloods are not back and then they remove the matter from the roll but as far as the police station is concerned your name is still appearing there and then when you do a police check it brings usually that phrase that you're referring to this illicit um, illicit activity but in in her case she is already an employee and you are saying it is permissible for the employer to continue to do these checks now what is it that what rights now accrue to both of them because she's already an employee she's already signed a contract if the intent of the employer is to terminate the contract what is the process that must be followed and, and and for that matter what is it that she's entitled to yeah look so if you look at terminating any form of contract um you have to understand that an employer basically has three grounds to terminate somebody's um, employment it's either based on misconduct so you uh, did transgress some or other rule within the workplace or based on incapacity where you're no longer suitable candidate for the role that you're fulfilling or when it's based on the operational requirements of the business. In this particular instance, you'll only know what course of action can be taken um, once you've investigated the matter further. Let, 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 let's assume she, they, they find that she indeed has a criminal record. So then they can, for example, if they're able to show but you should have reasonably known of the fact that you had a criminal record. No, she's saying she did it. She doesn't no, 100%. So you have to investigate it. You can't just say there's an illicit activity. So depending on what they find out, if they find that the person does have a criminal record, they could either, an employer can go through an incapacity process and say, well, it's an inherent requirement of the job that you don't have a dis, uh, criminal record because you're working with finances okay. and you've now got a criminal record for theft. It kind of compromises the trust. Then the, the employer has to have a disciplinary hearing. Okay. And following that disciplinary hearing process, the employee would then have the right to refer the, a dispute to the CCMA or the bargaining council if they're challenging the fairness of that dismissal. So, so in other words, once, once an employment relationship has been created consequent to the signing of the contract, which she has done, it puts her in a completely different realm in the sense that she's not a prospective employee, she's an employee. So if the employer intends to terminate the contract, let's assume they, they do find that she has a criminal record, she, they have to, she has to be subjected to a disciplinary hearing. And in that disciplinary hearing, the employer has to locate the cause of terminating the contract on one of the three grounds that you've, you've indicated. You can't summarily just write a letter and tell her, we found a criminal record, so we are terminating the employment. Well, look, you can. 
but it's not going to be fair and you're going to end up opening yourself as risked um, as an employer and yeah. you might face uh, an award at the CCMA where they can award up to a maximum of 12 months compensation to an employee or they can even reinstate the employee back into the business if they find that the dismissal was not fair. For the dismissal to be fair, you have to have a fair reason why you're terminating the person's services and you have to show that you followed a fair process. There is the message, Mkaya, both employers and employees, once an employment relationship has been created and there is an intent to terminate the relationship between uh, yourself and the employer and the employee, uh, you have to follow a fair process, a disciplinary hearing, and satisfy that there is a fair reason for terminating that relationship. And uh, and as Advocate Vessels has indicated, you have to locate your cause of grievance in one of the uh, three grounds that you have indicated. That's an extremely important message for you, um, Kaya listeners, who are employers. Uh, Roxani, in the, in the employment equity space, the advancement of those who have been previously disadvantaged. How are we doing there as a country? In terms of specifically relating to the question that was posed now, it's important to uh, remember that any sort of checks and tests need to be applied consistently. So it's not only something that would be pre-employment, it would be something that would be applicable to employees as well. So if there are existing employees in the workspace that have a criminal record, for instance, it is extremely unfair labor practice to be able to now insist on a a sanction of dismissal um, for this particular employee if if there are already existing employees within the organization that have criminal records. It's an inconsistent application of discipline. Absolutely. And with regards to employment equity in particular, it's, it's discriminatory. Um, If we are applying certain um, tests and checks to pre-employees and and not existing employees as such. Um, From an employment equity perspective, going back to your question, I know Minister Olifant is up in arms um, by the last 20 years summary in terms of the reporting. Um, The general consensus is that the the private sector and uh, the public sector as well has, has ignored the legislation and employment equity essentially has been gazetted to be able to assist transformation and BEE and to assist that change in terms of giving previously disadvantaged individuals the same and fair equal opportunity and the transformation is not happening fast enough. Um, many companies that have the, the financial power and the footprint to be able to make an impact have ignored this legislation and have um, m- taken a decision or a stance to either pay penalties in in exchange for actually obliging and abiding by the law, um, which is obviously a blatant disrespect to our country's constitution and our legislations. Um, and also we, we essentially have an opportunity to take these companies and create employment locally, but most of these entities are multinationals and therefore are not empowering ownership and they're not also appointing South Africans. So they've taken their money and their buying power essentially to be able to pay penalties instead of actually complying with the law. Mukaya, we talking labor law. Um, I'm, I'm joined in studio by Roxane and uh, Advocate Vessels. We really want to um, impart as much as we can in the last 40 minutes that are left. Uh, and and, and I, I like your reaction already, Mukaya, to your calls are coming in very early. The the dashboard is, is, is screaming. And uh, that speaks volumes to our contribution to the understanding of the law. Uh, for now, let's go and pay rent. 
Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matwining Bill. Welcome back, Mukaya, to the Law Report. I'm standing in for my big brother, Michael Motsoneng Bill. We're talking labor law. It's an open line. We hope by the end of the next uh, uh, minutes, we would have done as much as we possibly can within the uh, the time that we have to educate you as much as possible on, on, on labor law. You would remember the history of this country. It was a struggle to get workers to have rights. It is. It was equally a struggle for, I suppose, for employers to get the right to lock up. Uh, in in the in the labor relations act, so it's a, it's an important area of law that is important for national building. Uh, the minister of finance today was presenting a budget, and this budget is a product of the labor of the workers of this country. So it is an extremely important um, uh, a, a topic to talk about the advancement of the ideals of the constitution uh, and the freedom charter. Uh, uh, Roxana, you 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 were saying that the country is not doing well insofar as the issues of uh, uh, employment. Equity. So, who has this obligation of feathering the objectives of uh, employment equity? If I have a small business, um, do I have an obligation on employment equity, or uh, this is an obligation for the so-called uh, multinational companies or these big, big corporates that we that we have? Who has the obligation to to feather this uh, employment equity issue? Thank you, Marla. The um, businesses that have an obligation to comply with this legislation would be anybody who's considered to be a designated employer. So in essence, what that means is anybody by the very definition of having 50 employees or more. 50 employees. 50 employees or more. 50 or 50. And then alternatively, companies that have less than 50 employees but have met their um, threshold turnover in terms of Schedule 4 of the Employment Equity Act, which is a summary per sector or industry in terms of what the thresholds are on earnings and Uh, revenue with an organization. So, for example, businesses that... um, um, are in business consulting or services space have to meet the threshold of 30 million rand per annum or more. So if 30 million rand passes through your bank account, you have an obligation to do employment equity? Absolutely. Okay. You have an obligation to comply. You can have one employee or 49 employees. The point is, is the minute you hit that threshold, you would have to comply as a designated employer. Reason being, um, not only do you have the Uh, in certain respects of being 50 employees or more, you would have the potential to appoint people and give them the opportunity for employment in that respect. But those people that have less than 50 employees but have hit that threshold have the buying power or the affordability to be able to create employment. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So essentially with, with regards to these particular designated employers, if they fail to um, report or, or oblige or abide by the legislation, there are penalties involved. And I think as time progresses, people have become, um, or, or rather the, the Department of Labor has become um, more irritated with the fact that this legislation is being ignored. So the sanctions are becoming harsher and harsher, and the more you default as an organization, the higher the penalty. So these penalties can be anything between one and a half million rand per indiscretion to up to 10% of your revenue as a company. So that essentially could liquidate a company overnight. Okay. So there you go, uh, employer. You have employees... 
50 employees or more, you have an obligation to further this objective. After all, it's a noble object, um, uh, objective. And if you're turning over 30 million, that's a lot of money. So I think you 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 um, you equally have to play a role in the in the reconstruction of the of the country. Uh, let's go to to um, uh, Sia in Eastland. Uh, how guys are you? Very well, Sia. How are well, you? Thank you. I'm good. Okay, can you just assist me here with something? Okay, I'm a messenger, meaning like I'm a courier, mm. and I've been working for my company for five years. Okay, late last year, they said uh, due to a um, lot of work, they've, they've asked some of us guys to start uh, working during the day, then knock off at night. Then they will provide uh, transport for us. And on the contract, that I've signed. I've signed uh, uh, that I'll be starting to work from seven to four. Okay, which I didn't have a problem with that, uh, working that shift. But now the problem is that uh, they say that uh, for them pro- uh, providing us transport, it's costing them a lot of money. So they can't take us home anymore. They will just um, provide us with transport to the nearest bus station. Yeah, look, um, the reality is that even if you look, if you look at the career industry, you're looking more specifically um, at logistics and road freight and those kind of issues. Now, those industries are specifically regulated by bargaining councils. Um, and each bargaining council is very strict in as far as its rules and terms and conditions of employment is concerned. So a lot of the times it would indicate that if you work between certain hours in the evening, between let's call it from six in the evening until six the next morning, a, you are required as an employer to pay employees a night shift allowance and in respect of every hour work between those hours. And the second part is that you are required as an employer to ensure that there is transportation available to the employees um, between those hours. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that companies have to physically transport everybody to their individual places of residence, but you at least have to make sure that there is transport available for them to utilize. At the company's cost? Um, well, here's the way it comes in. So if I'm using a taxi, yeah. and I would normally pay 10 Rand for the taxi fee if I left work at five o'clock, but now all of a sudden, because I'm leaving work at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, the taxi fee is 20 Rand, you would think that there's an obligation on employers to at least come to the party and say your expenses are increasing as a result of this extended working hours and therefore many employers opt to compensate the difference between the two fees. So, so is they'll it, give it, you an allowance of an additional 10 rand because you would have had to spend 10 rand anyway. No, no. So, so, so is it an obligation or it's, it's because you, you, you know, you know, you know, I've, I've, where I stay, uh, it's very close to a certain supermarket which I won't name, and it's also they there is also very close to a certain um, fast food rest, uh, fast food outlet, and I always particularly notice that either the the employees themselves have made arrangements for a for a taxi to come pick them up when that particular supermarket closes, or they are hiking to get to to William Nicole, and I I find that particularly problematic um so 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 what is the specific answer is there a a legal obligation on the employer to provide transport for these employees because if they're knocking off at 10 or is it is it being nice is it no no it's a requirement by law that you ensure that there's transportation available often like you know i'm just mentioned with the taxi that's there at 10 o'clock or they 
um, 11 o'clock when the business they, closes. They arrange for themselves. The, the impl- the impl- yeah. But that's either, it's either through them that they've made the arrangement or you'll often find that the employer is involved in those discussions to having that transport made available. And the same principle applies. So if the employees have gone about making that arrangement for themselves, great on them for taking the initiative, but that's actually a responsibility of the employer yeah. to ensure that transport like that is available. So the principle is that if you're going to work from, you said from six. Between six in the evening. Six in the evening. And six, six in the next morning. In the next morning. It is the obligation of the employer to make transport available. So, so uh, yeah, Mkaya, those who work late, uh, ADG is here. Um, uh, so those who work late, and I, I've noticed that this and it has, it has been something that has worried me for a very long time uh, that it is important that you organize yourselves as as employees and approach your employer to say you have a legal obligation to provide us with transport uh, to see workers and employees struggling with transport sometime midnight it's it really doesn't sit well with me so there you have it um, uh, from advocate vessels that the employer has an obligation to basically make transport arrangements for you so that's why we're here to channel you in the right direction organize mobilize and organize and educate that's what we seek to do so there you there you go you do what you have to do to me in cosmo city hello yes i, I just have now three points i hope i'll be quick enough yes do. Uh, the first one is you know when a person like is looking for employment and one of the requirements is they must not be listed uh, on ITC or have any credit issues, even though they've never committed a, a criminal offense. Is that something constitutional? Because it seems like a person is judged before they've even done anything wrong. The second one is to know that if, to make sure that employees are being paid, you know, the right way for, for they are not being paid in, in, terms, in a discriminatory way. Are you allowed to share salary slips with another employee to say, look how much I'm earning? So to make sure that if you are doing the same type of job, you are not uh, paid, you know, an equal amount. And then the last one is to find out what is the legal age of retirement? And can a company force you to retire if it's not in your contract and you still are, you know, able to execute the job? Hey, to me, you, 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 you quite so skillfully. Uh, fitting three very uh, serious questions, I I'm, 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 I must I must admit I'm impressed. Right, so let's start with number one: the whole issue of ITC checks. Um, I think the important thing that we need to know and understand is that these checks serve a certain purpose for an employer. Um, as I previously mentioned, that if you employed in a position of trust and you are required to deal with company finances, the company can't really afford to have somebody employed who has been previously convic- been convicted of a criminal offence relating to theft or fraud. The same thing would apply in instances where you're applying for a, a job in the finance or insurance industry and you're required to give people advice about their finances, but you yourself um, haven't been able to manage your finances correctly in the sense that you find you in a situation where you have been blacklisted. So it has to be an inherent requirement 
of the job that you don't have a uh, but I, I i i i i was listed when i was just straight from varsity i was excited i went to buy an expensive car now i'm 10 years later i'm wiser surely you can you can hold that look hopefully your record would be clear 10 years later <laughs> um and when there's when there's any issue regarding your your profile um there's recourse for you to take that up um and and with the credit, is there, national is there credit time limit? Is there a time limit when 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 those uh, those listings naturally expire? They normally expire. You have to if you've been blacklisted, for example. It's normally about a three year period that goes by for you to go through a rehabilitation um, process because for three years you can't make any additional debt. So. Uh, they perceive that to be a, enough time for you to rehabilitate yourself and get to know and understand working with finance is a lot better. It also changes depending on how you've dealt with that credit that you've incurred. Um, but I think the main thing is just to establish whether or not these tests are actually, what's the purpose of them in the first place yeah. and how do they relate to your position? So, 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 so basically, so, so, so basically uh, you, you are saying that it is permissible. Yes. Uh, given what might appear as the inherent requirements of a of a of a job, um, uh, Roxani, this this issue of of salary discrepancies. Firstly, a, a, am I entitled to ask how much ADG is earning? Um, because I, I then think that because we are at at at, at this particular workplace, uh, white people are being paid different from black people, or males are being play, paid uh, more than women in the in, in the work environments for equal for an equal job so 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 uh, how is that space navigated unfortunately this does seem to be a common occurrence am- amongst most industries and it is a historical issue that a lot of organizations fail to address. Same and similar work for same and similar pay is something that um, a designated employer is responsible for navigating through and adjusting as they are able to adjust their their remuneration of their employees. Um, designated employers are are obliged by law to have a committee. So, so designated employers are those we were, we were speaking about. Correct. Those who have a duty to comply with employment equity those who are turning over 30 million or those who have employees, 50 employees or more. Correct. So that's what you mean when you Correct. talk about designated, okay. Correct. So if we're talking in particular to, to the Employment Equity Act, these designated employers have appointed committees that have representation on every single occupational level and every single uh, demographic or designated group. So therefore, every um, African representative in terms of male and female, um, Indian, Colored white um, and people with disabilities, as well as non-designated groups, which would be white males and foreign nationals. So therefore, everybody in this forum has a voice. So these representatives essentially are responsible for checking that the company or the designated employer is actually um, abiding by all this legislation. So does it, does it imply that then I can, I can ask to see Roxane's uh, payslip? I was about to say, however. Okay. <laughs> Yes. So, however, 
um, because it is a highly confidential um, uh, piece of information, and of course, every single employer employee has has the right to protect private information, and and essentially, they if they disclose their own salary, that is their choice. However, it is not it is not uh, admissible or fair labour practice for employees to discuss other employees' salaries. It's not but, common knowledge. But but are we not then swimming in a fish pond and going basically nowhere? Uh, if 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 we are at the same job level, uh, why should it matter? Because if you are earning twenty thousand, I'm earning twenty thousand. So why should it matter that uh, that should not be disclosed? Because the deductions are the same. The amount that is hitting our accounts is is basically what what is really there to protect. Well, I think it's important to acknowledge that in a perfect world, yes, we're on the same level and you're earning 20,000, I'm earning 20,000. However, there are certain um, aspects of our employment that would um, lean towards having different salaries. For example, years of service would play a role. Um, your level of experience would also play a role. Um, the fact that females take time off employment to rear children and be be at home and taking time out of their career obviously sets them back in terms of earnings. So what the legislation has done to protect the employees' interests is to appoint the committee and within that committee there is an employment equity manager. The employment equity manager is somebody that is a senior manager that has direct access to the CEO, has the authority to make decisions in this regard, and essentially um, is generally either the finance manager or director or the HR manager or director, and that person already has mandate to see those salaries. So essentially, they are responsible for looking so, so, so and every, analyzing. So every designated employer has an obligation to appoint in that committee. Yeah, correct. Okay. Correct. And those people that represent in those committees, there are generally one or two of those role players that have the authority to see those salaries. And most companies that don't make use of cons- external consultants like ourselves that go through thorough income analysis to be able to judge the salaries across the market and look at pay grades and, and assess whether there is actually merit in terms of er- income dif- differentials um, based on years of service, technical expertise, um, and even geographical location. Salaries in Johannesburg tend to be a lot higher than that of Durban and, and Cape Town and the likes of. So these are things that need to be considered. Mukaya, we, we, I, I promised you that we'll bring you, we, we can do better than Roxane and, and, uh, and Advocate Vessels. She says she's a consultant, she's with Strata, Strategy Labor Solutions. So don't get that penalty coming your way when you have Roxana uh, here. And we're basically dishing it out to you, Mukaya. We hope that by the end of this show, uh, you find a way of uh, of of, uh, of making sure that you comply with all the necessary legislation. Okay, let's go and pay Edigi's salary. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matsuening Bill. Welcome to the Law Report, Mkai Ngobizitamdil. I'm standing in for my big brother, Michael Matsuening Bill. I like what is happening here. We have been discussing labor law and we've just really been at the source of knowledge uh, on labor law. You just need to press search. The answer is going to come. I'm sitting with Roxane and Advocate Vessels. I told you, it can't get better than this. And the screens are loud. Mandis, I see you. Peter, I see you. Dinea, I see you. Kathy, I see you. Let's start with Mandis. 
Good afternoon. How are you? How are you, Mandisa? I'm not so good, but yeah. Don't worry. I have advocate vessels there, Roxana here. If you want a massage, I can send them your way. <laughs> that would really help because I'm in pain right now. But my question is: Last week Monday, I fell on the stairs in our office, right? Um, so now what happened was after I fell, um, I went to the office again and I told my boss that I fell. And he didn't say that I should go home. So I only not I fell at 2 o'clock and then I only went home at about half the four. Following day, I went to the hospital to get a check and I was advised that I have a fracture, so I have a cast on. So when I went back to, oh, um, that was Tuesday. Wednesday, he, I told him that I can't come back to the office because they put on a cast and they told me to get back to the hospital so that they can see the circulation. And then he said, he'll need me to come with a doctor's note. And I said, I have it. And then on Thursday, I went to the office just to show him the severity of the fall, that I have a cast. And that the doctor has booked me off for six weeks in order for the fracture to heal. But now he says that this is not going to work. Um, I'm on probation. I have been working for the company for about four or five months now. He says that I'm on probation and I can't take a full six weeks of, of leave, of sick leave. The other thing is he does not want to apply for my injury on duty um, claim. So I just want to get clarity on that because he says that um, with me, because we are in an office complex, right? So I was working down the, like in, the, in the foyer of the, of the building but still within the premises of the office. But he says that I didn't fall in the office office, like inside our office. Um, I just fell outside the office, in the, but still in the office block. Right. Yeah. Simple matter is that if an, em- an employee has r- sustained an injury on duty, you have to report it. Employer has no option. If there's a non every employer, every employer, you report the IOD, and it is what is IOD? Injury on duty. You report report it to Workmen's Compensation. You complete the necessary forms and you follow the process. Furthermore, the period of absence as a result of an injury on duty does not get deducted off sick leave. So in this instance, the period of absence um, would fall outside of sick leave because normally you would not accrue enough sick leave in four months to be booked off for six weeks. But it's treated differently because it's an injury on duty. Get the employer to report it. It's for workman's compensation to determine does it qualify as a claim or does it not? Mandisa, there is your answer. Let me just tag on. She, She said something about being on probation for five months. Is that permissible? Look, probation can be for uh, different periods of time. Everybody has the misconception that it's for three-month period, but it varies depending on the nature of the position that you employed in. Peter in Soweto. Oh, sorry, Kathy, Kathy, Kathy. Actually, my niece is Kathy. I should have started with you. Kathy. Hi. How are you, Kathy? I'm fine, thanks. And how are you? Good, good, Kathy. Good. I just wanted to find out, um, after following um, labor processes within the company, we eventually agreed to mutually separate, um, but I had um, my notice period is two months. So I wanted to find out: um, Does the company do I have any obligation towards the company in the two months? Because um, I'm not allowed, I'm not supposed to come into work. Um, it's known that I, I, I'm, I'm not. Um, you, you, you have signed. Back. You have signed a, a, an agreement that says it's a mutual termination. Yes. And in the mutual termination, does what does it say about the notice period? It is two months. It, it says you must serve two months. Or it the, doesn't the, say I, I'm not. I'm not serving it. The, the employer has waived their right to that two months. It has. Yes. 
Well, so so in essence, the the relationship has ended. Yeah, the relationship has ended, but you have to look at exactly what the terms of the agreement is, because we can decide to part ways, and instead of you having to work your notice, I will pay you out your notice. Yeah. So I'll pay you that. Or the requirement is that we both agree that you will leave immediately and you're not entitled to notice. Yeah. But so you just have to look at what the terms of that particular agreement exactly is. Get the hope that's uh, that's helpful. Dineo uh, in Johannesburg. Dineo? Hello? Yes, Dineo. Hi there, how are you? Very good, Dineo, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, I just need clarification on disciplinary hearings. So the first thing on my case is I was, I was suspended, and then I was suspended on a Friday. I was served with the notice of the hearing on a Tuesday. The hearing was on a Thursday, right? I was not, um, I was told when I was suspended to leave my laptop, my um, mobile phone, work phone, everything. So for me to prep for the charges that I was brought, uh, that were brought uh, before me, I wasn't able to, to do that. So that's the first question then. Okay, what let, do let's, I do? yeah, let, let's, let's take, uh, 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 I thought we got cut off with, with, with Kathy before she, she you know, Kathy, the, 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 the answer to, to your question was, uh, you must check the terms of your termination. The, the terms of termination might be that they will pay you for the remaining two months, or you would have agreed that your relationship ends and ends and you forego your your uh, your two months. So, firstly, it is permissible to terminate the, the an employment relationship outside the agreed period. What is what is important is for you to look at the terms of that uh, ter- of, of of that termination. Let, let's go to Dineo. All right. So, in as far as this disciplinary hearing is concerned, the general perception is that an employer can take precautionary suspensory measures measures against an employee. So I can suspend you pending the finalization of a disciplinary hearing. Interestingly enough, the Constitutional Court on Tuesday ruled yeah. um, the very same thing to yes, say that it's, it's permissible. So um, the fact is that you are hampered as an employee in as far as your preparation of the hearing is concerned when you're in, on suspension. But you have an obligation and a duty as an employee to request whatever information you require from the employer in order to prepare for your hearing. As a general rule, employers give 48 hours notice for you to attend a disciplinary hearing, but nothing prohibits you from requesting additional time um, depending on the complexity of the matter, etc. But the general rule is normally 48 hours unless the disciplinary code determines otherwise or unless you request additional time for valid reasons but you can't wait until the day of the hearing and then say oh i need documentation oh i need more time when uh, you are you entitled to that documentation before the hearing you must be able to prepare your case so i if i need specific information you must request it from the employer to say i would like the following documents a b c and d okay there you have it Mkaya. Make sure that you request the documentation you think is relevant for you preparing your defense at the, at the, at the hearing. If you request that information uh, timelessly and that information is not provided to you during the disciplinary hearing itself, make sure that that issue is either recorded or you request for a postponement. But either way, uh, make sure that the chairperson of this disciplinary hearing uh, captures captures that issue because it it might or might not become relevant in 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 a future forum. Peter in Soweto. Hello. Yes, Peter. Yeah. <clears throat> My is a question similar to the previous two previous um, callers. Yes. Uh, I'm working for this company and it has a branch all over the province. And last year, 
there was an announcement in another branch that in our department, uh, people who are working in our department are going to get a, a not a salary increase, as, as to say, but an incentive. Okay, it was announced. Then we asked our manager about that, and then he said he's going to find out. How did you find out when he comes back and said, no, it, it's not applicable in our in our branch. So I just, and it happened that one day, uh, it was a visit from uh, from the directors, and we were invited. And we asked the same question as to how come we are doing the same job and doing everything, but you are not getting in, in, incentivized the same way. And that director said to us, no, it was a mistake, and that has been revoked. But my question was that, is it, has it been revoked to those people who got those incentives before us? You couldn't answer. So I just want to know what is our record and what is the company's obligation? Because I think it's unfair labor practice. And I think if that's the feeling that exists, and that's exactly the dispute that needs to be um, be brought forward. Um, normally, employees that are disgruntled about something or feel that it's unfair, the provision of benefits does not fairly apply to them. They have an obligation to try and exhaust internal measures, so grievance processes, etc., to try and get the issue resolved and a bit understanding of it. And if they're still um, unsatisfied with the outcome of that internal measures, nothing prohibits them from f- referring a dispute to the CCMA um, uh, do, for do, unfair labor practice. Is there a legal requirement to exhaust internal remedies or we can still go to the CCMA before exhausting You internal. can still go to the CCMA, but the CCMA encourages it. And the first question that they will ask you is, did you address this internally with your organization? Because if not, then why are we here? First, take it up. Let the internal measures run its course uh, so that you can say, I have no other option but to come to the CCMA. Mkaya, uh, we are talking labor law and I like the screen is screaming with calls on 0860000959 Pindile and Soweto. Hi, uh, how are you doing? Very well, Pindile, how are you? Good, good. Uh, I think I have the same problem as the previous caller, but I've been working for the same company for about 10 years now. I've only had a salary increase, uh, I think twice. So for the past, Seven, seven, eight years, I haven't had the salary increase. I've been earning the same salary. So my boss, his argument is that there is no money in the company and the, the company is not making money. Therefore, we cannot get salary increases. But they go on holidays. Uh, <laughs> he lives a luxury life. He changes cars like there's no tomorrow. So I, I need to know what is my recourse in this case. Advocate Vesos? Look, um, there's different ways of approaching this question. The one is that if the person is working in a certain industry or sector, you have to look at what legislation is applicable. So certain industries like wholesale, retail, agriculture, hospitality have a sectorial determination that every year publishes a minimum wage for that that industry and there's normally a wage increase attached to that minimum wage. So once again, it would become an issue of whether or not we're complying with paying of that particular minimum wage. If it's an industry that's not regulated, the unfortunate reality is that by law, nobody is entitled to a salary increase. Um, There's unfortunately no legislation that says you have to get an increase and it has to be X amount um, unless it's regulated by a specific 
sector or sectorial determination or bargaining council because they regulate it. So there's a bit more information that one would need in order to address the question effectively. From an employment equity perspective, and if the employee feels like they're being unfairly treated or disgruntled, then then definitely the recourse is to to lay a grievance and possibly ask for proof in terms of um, pay grades and and salaries that are market related in terms of the roles that the individual is actually fulfilling as well. So, so, so maybe maybe Roxane, what is this idea of employment equity? What is it? Actually, well, what what is the content of it? Well, the purpose of the of the act is actually to readdress any inequalities of the past. So, it is related to treatment of the employee, remuneration of the employee, any sorts of benefits. Um, and which employee? designated and non-designated groups so whilst whilst the employment equity act applies specifically to designated groups their unfair discrimination counts for everybody so whether you are um, a, a designated group being somebody who's a previously or a historically disadvantaged individual, so a female, a person with disability, um, a black as defined by the BEE codes, so African colored Indian, um, or a non-designated group being a foreign national or a white male, um, discrimination is not permitted. And people, when they hear discrimination, they automatically default to the race card. Oh, yeah. Racism is is prominent and, and definitely one of the biggest issues in terms of discrimination. But there is discrimination in terms of race, gender, earning potential, job grading, um, age. So we need to be very careful, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation. So we need to be very careful in terms of how we, um, as employers, take the, the responsibility on dealing these with these actual grievances. Noklunga in Johannesburg. Hi, how are you? Very well, Noklunga. We, we're running out of time, so make it okay, sweet. Okay, not a problem. Um, I'm working for an attorney. I don't have a contract. Uh, I've been working since October last year. Um, I think I'm getting, I'm, I'm being underpaid. I'm not sure, but I think I am. Um, I'm not paying any taxes. Um, is that even right? I just need to know if it's yeah. supposed to be that way. Okay. No, we we, we, we we somewhat addressed that issue at the at the beginning of the of the show. I think the essentially what Advocate Vessels was saying is that um, there is a duty on an employer to give an employee an, a, a written contract, failing which there is a penalty that accrues. And the second issue he mentioned was that the, the fact that you didn't sign a contract does not necessarily mean that you're not an employee. Then the third issue is you think you're being um, under underpaid. Uh, absent a, a, a sectorial determination that sets a minimum wage in that particular um, um, uh, sector, uh, really the issue of salary, and outside the minimum wage, the issue of salary is really a market force determination. Is that a fair summation? 100% correct. My biggest concern is that these are attorneys yeah. practicing law <laughs> well, that can't say, seem to implement the law. They say doctors are the ones that drink the most or smoke the most. And then they tell you not to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> there is an alarm bell there, though. If, if there aren't any sort of statutory deductions, that's something that yes, could actually yes. jeopardize the employee. Yeah. So if, if the employer is not 
taking action in terms of deductions on PAYE and so on, we need to keep in mind as an as an employee, we need to uh, meet our obligation to do tax returns, and it's best to check with SARS that your employer is fulfilling their obligation. Noklonga, I I hope that uh, you 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 had the the answer. Mkaya, uh, it has been a, a very interesting show and uh, exactly as I anticipated, I, I, I can't repeat enough that I was in the company of uh, Thesaurus in, 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 uh, in labor law. Roxanne has been great. Advocate Vessels has been, has been, uh, has been great. Uh, you have heard that um, employers who are employing more than 50 people, turnover of 30 million, do what you have to do because you have a responsibility on employment equity. We are going to a disciplinary hearing, request that the information be, 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 be finished to you. An employment relationship cannot be terminated outside a disciplinary hearing and it is not true, as Advocate Vessels has told us, that probation period is limited to three months. It can be, um, it can be any time. Those employees who work after hours, make sure that you speak to your employers to make transport arrangement for you. Exhaust internal remedies before you approach the CCMA is not a requirement, but it's always preferable. Salary, no one has, a, uh, has an inherent right to a particular salary outside the issue of the minimum wage. I think it has been a great show. Thank you very much for keeping us company. Hope to see you next Rewinding. week. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.